0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMag24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software as a service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. All
1: right, Marco. Sean. It's time to uh, time to be intelligent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck which, with w- that. Which is
1: hard for me, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, you know, the constant struggle.
2: It's, that's a good point to start defining intelligence, right? We talk about artificial intelligence being you know, street smart, being intelligent, and and using intelligence to be ahead of the game, especially in, in security. So pick one.
1: Yeah, well, without information, uh, and perhaps even if you have information, not using it properly, you're. you're... You likely find yourself in what you refer to often, Marco, offline as whack-a-mole. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't know what you're looking for. You wait for something to pop up. You, you, you smack it, and and hopefully that was the right thing to smack down uh, versus something else. So, uh, people are probably wondering what the heck is this all about. Uh, we're going to be looking at threat intelligence and and cyber war, the impact on business and you know, the society as a whole. And a lot of the conversation today is going to be driven by presentation and research and reading uh, from our guest, who happens to be Robin Smith, who is uh, the head of cyber and information security at Aston Martin, recently presented at InfoSecurity Europe in London, virtually, I believe, but uh, nonetheless, still presented. Robin, thanks a million for joining us.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really glad to be here.
1: Great, great. So let's start from the
2: beginning, a little bit about yourself, a little bit more than what Sean said, so that uh, people know who they're listening
1: I like uh, to say, I go back to when I was hatched.
3: <laughs> sure, so you, well, you don't uh, have to go that far. You're a no, you, no, you can. I'm, a, I'm of a certain vintage. It might take up the rest of the <laughs> podcast. So, I, I've been working for two decades as a, as, I, I guess, as an information professional across privacy, knowledge management, information management, and I, I arrived in cybersecurity in the last five years, and I'm thoroughly enjoying my time. I'm currently working for Aston Martin, who are a uh, luxury vehicle manufacturer. I. I I spent a lot of time in that two decades working for UK law enforcement and, and reviewing the way in which the police service deals with intelligence. And it's informed lots of my work in the last decade. And I, I was lucky enough to present InfoSecurity Europe on what we've found and what we're implementing at Aston Martin. So it's uh, it's good to be here, and I'm happy to talk about my experiences.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think what I'm really curious to know, and uh, you know, m- many of our conversation being a publication podcast at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, we can go pretty much everywhere. Everything is technology, obviously. Everything is society, and uh, lately, everything has to become cybersecurity. So, I think today, based on your presentation and your experience, we can talk about the importance of threat intelligence maybe for the business and how it reflects to society and, and uh, you know, working with the, with the federal agency, of course, probably, as you said, big part of it.
3: No, you're exactly right. And I think I think the, the perspective we're taking in the UK and the perspective we've taken across lots of jobs I've done is, is to realize that information is the currency of the organization and intelligence is a really important byproduct of our information processes. And I think we live in we live in difficult times. Obviously, we live in times where policing in the US, in the UK, across the world, is subject to a lot of scrutiny. But I I can say, having worked in policing for its faults and for the failures, and you know we don't look past the failures. One thing that the police service does in the UK is it uh, really relentlessly focuses on being intelligence-led. So where you have an organisation that has finite resources a near-infinite demand for crime in the UK or a near-infinite perception of crime, the UK Police Service and and individual forces use intelligence really well. And they use it in a way that has informed my approach to working in nuclear, automotive and academia to say, well, what the police do well could be transposed to other organisations. And what the police do really well in terms of generating intelligence and insight to drive activity should be integrated in the way in which side practitioners are working and that's really the jumping off point for, for my work with aston martin
1: and and robin is it because I, I i would agree because I, I it makes perfect sense why are not we there is it because we're tech driven and and not scenario driven or is it that we just don't know what information we need and how to use it, or are we afraid to share information? Or what, how did the police environment end up there, and why can't cybersecurity, assuming it isn't there?
3: Well, I think Evgeny Morozov summarized it really well, which is we have tech solutionists, and we have a, a generational two decades, three decades of people that have seen the velocity of. The Velocity of technology really kind of moving ahead at rapid, rapid pace, and we do get the new tools, the new techniques, and the new ways of working that are kind of transformative. You know, from the web to mobile devices to the Internet of Things. That that speed, that accelerationism of technology is exciting and it's seductive, but it's not always married to the way in which uh, we should implement them. You know, in a a fully realised fashion. You know, you might implement one. Uh, business process technology tool and it be replaced by a, another one immediately. And you're not getting the maturity around process management that you might see. Now, contrast that with UK policing is, you know, it has its innovations with regard to technology, but it has a 200-year history of being process-orientated, much like many other police forces. And it has a 200-year history of trying to work out what's right it focuses on problems it focuses on issues it focuses on resources now it does it makes great use of technological innovation but it marries that technological innovation to a problem orientated approach to the organization and i think that's where that differs to maybe newer organizations, startups you know international uh, corporations because it is seductive to use cutting-edge technology. Of course it is. There's nothing like novelty. You know, our brains are wired to seek out novelty. Where the police service of the UK has done really well is to maintain a problem-orientated approach mm-hmm. and to uh, develop models and techniques that we're starting now to fuse with excellent technology, you know, XDR and MDR, and we'll talk about that as the session goes through. So I think it's a matter of perspective. The police have to be problem-oriented. I'm sure that's the same in America as it is in the UK. They have to kind of use their resources well. That is the imperative, not technological innovation. So if you then make sure that your technology is subordinated to the mission of the organization, that is an effective way of directing your process.
2: Yeah, I love what you said, because the first thing that came in my mind when when Sean asked the question, I was going to say, because they've been around for much longer than cybersecurity, Mm -hmm. and they've seen what works and what doesn't. And I think what is also extremely important is to live in a society that is more predictive than reactive, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like cybersecurity counts a little bit too much on technology and the next big tech thing that is going to resolve the problem without including the human behavior the, the, the way that we, we, we act in society and in each relationship we have, including the way we deal with, with crime. So but I know that during your presentation, you kind of look into the future as well, which is part of the predictive thing. So you want to touch a little bit on that and then maybe we, we wrap it up into, back into what we can do nowadays to, to handle things. So what, what is coming? Are we getting it as an industry?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think uh, just just sort of tracking back to that, my the 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 impetus for this work was my obsession with uh, uh, examining emergent risk. So, one of the things that I learned in the police service was to consider not just the current sort of threat profile for the organisation, because that would take up a lot of time, but was to start to design methods and techniques to consider what was coming around the corner so a lot of a lot of my work in different industries has been about you know considering emerging risk and emerging threats and designing new processes and technologies to integrate those emerging problems and i think that has informed how we kind of adapt and uh, adopt processes so we can say let's not just design for the problems we face now let's have a look at the edge of the industry. Let's have a look at the edge of the wave of technology to consider how cyber criminals who are infinitely innovative when it comes to new technologies and exploiting new protocols, you know, look at the way they've adapted to the COVID-19 pandemic. I, uh, I remember having a conversation which was, Will we see a surge in cyber criminality under COVID 19 or will, you know, the cyber criminals take 18 months off like the rest of us? Well, boy, did we see a surge. I think there were some recent studies by Checkpoint Research where we saw a 168% re- surge in criminality uh, year on year in the Asia Pacific area. And that spoke to the malicious innovation of cyber criminals. So when we are dealing with an asymmetric threat that is, you know, industrialized cybercriminality or cybercrime as a service, it's ridiculous that we don't start to design our processes to combat that problem. And that's really what I've been focusing on, which is we can deal with today's threats, we can be problem-orientated, but the smart organization will start to consider the threat horizon start to kind of use design processes to integrate planning and adaptation and really a principle is agility you know of course we want to defend against that surge that we've seen in ransomware but there is recent research by Sofor saying that maybe we've seen the actual peak of the ransomware threat and maybe cyber criminals are now pivoting into different exploits such as cryptocurrency threats or the use of downloaders which are kind of dogging the finance industry at the moment so that malicious innovation needs to be mirrored in our approach to, you know, cyber criminals always adapt and adopt new ways of working. We need to have the same approach.
1: And Robin, I want your thoughts on on this, and because what we're, we're asking, as I'm picturing this in my head, there's the police force, and there may be many departments or different police units, uh, depending on where, where we're talking about country-wise. Uh, either they work together independently, but There is a police force. They are dedicated to identifying and fighting crime driven by human behavior that may happen to use technology. We look inside a business. Cybersecurity, information security is a department within the business where their focus is about making money, bringing products to market faster, uh, building market share and having great customer satisfaction that oftentimes puts risk exposure there and, and yeah, doesn't take into security into account very often. Are we asking too much of the business to have their own police department inside or, or should we be looking to things like the ISACs and the NCSCs to kind of provide a service to help companies?
3: No, that's fascinating. I hadn't really considered that way because I'm steeped in this kind of these law enforcement principles. I think I think ultimately that question is about risk. And there's this idea that risk is simply conceived in negative terms, which is what's the risk of doing this? How much is it going to cost the bottom line? Is it going to affect the, you know, for us to mind how many cars we're going to sell? But uh, Anthony Giddens who's a British sociologist is a really interesting guy. He said there are two conceptions of risk. You know, it isn't just about negative risk taking to, to be defensive to deal with threats to try and remediate problems. Positive risk taking should be part of a corporation's mindset, as it is within you know a, a police service mindset. And positive risk taking might say that we are going to try new ways of working to better deal with current and emergent sets. We are going to try new ways of new forms of technology because it might improve operations. So I think I don't disagree with the conception of. You know, falling back into a defensive posture, that might be the, the classic kind of risk risk manager's response. But if we have a more sophisticated take on our risk strategy, if we have a intelligence-led approach that kind of is about identifying, protecting, detecting, responding, recovering – that positive risk taking will enable an organisation not just to remediate risk, but actually exploit new opportunities that are coming through, and you know take us away from this paramilitary approach to kind of dealing with intelligence.
1: And uh, to follow up on this this model that I'm picturing, uh, a lot of times it's not just about police seeing a crime and arresting somebody. A lot of times they're embedded in a community um do things to support the community to perhaps take them out of a path of where they might commit crimes and their presence there might thwart somebody from thinking about or uh, taking action on a crime right petty theft or whatever it might be do we do we miss some of those elements in our information security programs as well
3: so that to me is ultimately about presence You know, we call it in the UK uh, community-led policing, whereby we do go and engage with community stakeholders and we talk to people and we gather intelligence and we build relationships and we build what might be considered social capital. Not to stretch the metaphor, but why isn't that different to what a cybersecurity practitioner should be doing in an organisation, which is floor walking, seeing problems with their own eyes, having conversations collaborating with different services rather than existing in an ivory tower. We don't want to kind of overstate the kind of uh, parallels with policing. that's not really the point. The point is to say policing is intelligence-led, it's engaged with stakeholders and it builds capital. Good CISOs, good cybersecurity practitioners do the same within an organization. They walk the floor, they see problems with their own eyes, they're evidence-based and they focus relentlessly on what the problems are rather than kind of generic approach to strategy so i see i see the kind of similarities we don't want to overstate the kind of the comparison and i'm not sure we want cyber security practitioners to operate like a police service unless absolutely necessary but i think what we want is an approach to building capital i see the handcuffs robin i see the handcuffs (laughs) well (laughs) I, i think i think it's not it's always difficult in this which is we don't want to overstate how well the police do things. They do plenty of things badly. But if we sort of have a have a notion that, what do they do well? They're really intelligence-led. They focus on problems and they resolve issues. How is that different to a CISO?
2: I like that concept that you're saying about the importance of the positive view of risk. Because uh, this industry has just been going on and on with the – with fears and you, you don't know enough. You know, let us in our bonkers to take care of you. You don't need to worry about that. And then lately, the human elements—it's it's more and more present. Like if it wasn't present before, and now it is. I think the difference is that now we actually consider it to be part of the solution and not part of the part of the problem only. I'd like to hear your vision on on how apart from the policing aspect of, of taking the example from them on how a company can turn the human factor, the human element uh, as a part of the risk solution?
3: Yeah, sure. I, I think I worked in the nuclear sector last year, which was fascinating. And it, it kind of contrasts with previous experiences and one of the things in the nuclear sector is they see the human firewall as absolutely part of its control strategy, as absolutely part of its defence strategy. And they invest heavily in vigilance as a value. They say that, you know, the human firewall is as important as a WAF, as important as IDS, and it's an admirable approach. And what nuclear have done is invested in a strategy around digital literacy so rather than assuming that our users our staff our stakeholders know how to deal with information as a currency know how to deal with uh, incident reporting they actually seek to have a permanent campaign to raise skills and they contract their staff to say one of the essential parts of what you do is to be vigilant is to report on security incidents and to speak up about how we think things could be done better and this idea of um digital literacy is really important because I think it, it goes away from this notion of users as pariah, users as a problem, and it involves them in a more rounded view of the technology, which is the technology is not complete until the users use it seamlessly. You know, to kind of say, well, the technology works apart from the users is a mistake. But nuclear actually says our delivery and our implementation by our users is part of our intelligence approach, which is to say the technology is only proved when the users are satisfied and that it has improved with these processes. And I think that's an admirable approach. And you know, I like this concept of micro learning. So rather than, you know, a day a year, which is what we do in the UK public sector, a day a year doing your mandatory training, it's always the worst day of the year. You know, 15 years ago we were all buying learning management systems that were going to solve the skills gap. I think the best thing I've seen is about encouraging more positive behaviours in the workplace by having a permanent campaign to raise awareness around cyber and to have bite-sized learning whereby every month you learn maybe a new nugget regarding protecting your online presence, regarding use of public Wi-Fi. And those kind of marginal gains, you know, there's a brilliant cycling coach in the UK called Dave Brailsford who talks about marginal gains. You know, most people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they do in a year and that's an important perspective in terms of if we push out 50 nuggets a year 25 nuggets a year that could massively improve the corporate memory the corporate awareness of security issues and it could encourage a much more vigilant culture across the organization
1: Yeah, and speaking of, of culture and uh, learning i'm wondering have, have security teams Let's say they they do take one or more Intel threads in. Um, have we become reliant upon tools and technology to ingest and digest and analyze that data for us, such that as an information security professional, we're not really learning what's really going on?
3: Well, I never Is that, think that a stretch. Well, I don't think it's too late ever to kind of adapt. You know, we can always go back to the IBM adage of uh, machines should work, people should think. And what I do with my analysts in Aston Martin is to encourage them to view all of the feeds as just material that they will then apply their intelligence and their skills to. And we we develop the critical skill, the critical thinking skills of our analysts to say, you know, we want you to take the information information and generate insight we want you to produce a series of intelligence products so once a year we do a strategic risk assessment that aggregates all of the different feeds into a prioritized list of problems and threats that we might face and that then leads into how do we resource this year's work and month to month we may actually produce individual problem profiles which is another type of intelligence product that brings together all of the synthesized elements, all of the kind of feeds that we get from you know, various providers such as AlienVault, and we adopt them within what we call our cyber threat intelligence management model to actually use profiling, resourcing, to determine what we call tasking coordination. So what is the threat feeds telling us? How are we prioritizing what's important? And how are we learning the lessons from our actions? And I think that to me is really important, which is to say, by, by considering that the threat feed is not an end in itself, it's merely a feed into the process, by saying we're going to have a cyber threat intelligence management approach, which is lean and agile, that harmonizes with the business, this can allow us to really produce insight and action that can change the organization for the better. So we had an issue recently with business email compromise. It came into tasking coordination. There was a problem profile we assigned the appropriate resources towards it and we massively reduced business email compromise as a threat. And that's the way that CTIM should work. It should focus relentlessly on the priorities and problems and give us action and insight that enables us to change the organization.
2: Yeah, I love that you brought this example. I was actually going to ask you probably for, <laughs> for one. And this brings us to. The, the value of security, what what Sean and I call the business of security, and how a large corporation like Aston Martin can embrace and, and realize that it has a brand value. It has a, a not just brand value; it has a lot of value when you when you when you're protected. And what could you and you probably have done it during your presentation? what what could you teach like? give some tips to other businesses that want to implement that and, and really start looking at the business not as a cost, but as an investment.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a brilliant insight in terms of the dimensions to value because I think it's reductive just to only talk about the cost of cybersecurity. You know, we've all seen the figures. It costs a million and a half to remediate the incident. It costs, you know, several hundred thousand pounds to pay ransomware or double ransomware. And I think whilst businesses consume that kind of, Easy headline really well. It doesn't reflect the different values that might be affected by uh, good cybercrime, good cybersecurity within an organization, and it doesn't reflect the kind of array of costs that arise from bad cybersecurity. Grant Asplund was telling me recently that organizations that have multiple data breaches then have trouble getting credit in the market. And that's an unintended consequence, which I think is really interesting, which is it isn't just the immediate cost, it's the long term credit issue. For me, I wrote a book ten years ago called um the lean information management toolkit. And if you're aware of the lean services approach, this is about focusing on uh waste, on problems, on issues within the organization and tapping into those value streams. Now, for me, cybersecurity has become key to protecting the value streams of any organization so for Aston Martin making sure the vehicles are designed protected and updated for any kind of risk issues is really important that's a value stream that's a security value stream so if we have a mindset towards cybersecurity that is predicated not just on the financial cost but on the value that can be amplified by better security that's a really important sort of move force for the organi- for the organization and for the industry and i think i'm a real advocate for lean cybersecurity because i think i've said this at several conferences boards i don't want to put up with major mega hacks that lead to millions of pounds of loss from the bottom line from reputational damage We need a much leaner mindset to remediate an incident. And I think that goes from, you know, having better cyber insurance policies, having better kind of risk scanning in the first place, and maybe having a leaner approach to remediation where we're not having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on incident remediation because we've anticipated some of the stuff because we've used seating to plan out our approach. So I think lean cybersecurity should be a new dimension for practitioners to kind of say, Yes, we've got to the top table. Yes, we are now engaged in the important conversations. We now need to justify staying there, not by spending a million pounds on or a million dollars on instant remediation, but by adding a million dollars or two million dollars of value by brand protection, by intellectual property protection, by you know promoting good services across the industry. So I think value is going to become an important dimension for all cyber practitioners over the next decade. I love it. And uh,
1: I mean, that I think could be a great close, but I'm going to pull you left just a little further with one more question as we wrap here. No. Uh, Yes. I always have one (laughs) One more more question. question. (laughs) One more question. I don't know if you're doing anything here, so it might, it may not, may not uh, fly well, but are you doing anything to help design and define and architect the business? from the beginning to help reduce exposure in the first place. So if you're going to put an entertainment system in the car, think of these things, architect it and design it this way. So that we're not dealing with a massive amount of logs and, and incident response and patching and all the other crap that comes with a poorly designed system.
3: <laughs> well, I don't have to do that thinking because God bless the United Nations. They've actually come out with a series of standards that demand automotive uh, uh, manufacturers build in security by design into all of the cars the technology and into their process so there is a regulation 1.5 and one five six. there's also an ISO standard 21434 that demand that automotive manufacturers have protective monitoring on the vehicles, are able to upgrade the software management systems easily and effectively and you will not be able to sell a car globally in 2024 If you can't show a certificate of compliance with these array of standards. So were I not obsessed with security by design and making sure this would happen, it doesn't matter because the UN demand that we do do that. So it's it's a tall order for organizations. We are making very good progress ourselves. But I think it speaks to how security is now mainstream. If the UN are legislating and demanding major manufacturers across different industries integrate security, I think that's a good thing a headache day to day but actually long term when you buy an aston martin and you spend let's let's not go into the prices but it's a it's a luxury vehicle not only are you getting a fantastic a piece of a piece of art an awesome car a really a really cool car let's be honest james bond's car you're getting a car that's protected as an asset is protected against kind of crime is protected against threat and that will contain all of your personal information that relates to your brilliant or terrible driving so i think you know the mainstreaming of security is proved by you know luxury vehicles now having standards for security written into their design from day one
2: and no pressure on the fact that it's james bond car so if you don't have security there where else are you going to have it
3: (laughs) no time to die comes out october hopefully so you'll see a beautiful aston martin in there i mean i'm not a petrol head but they are they are works of art. They are oh, beautiful no. vehicles. I'm really proud to work here.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I and I think to to close these and you know, thank you for this really eye opener conversation for many things. And I love your approach to intelligence and of course prevention and, and many things, but also the fact that there is this this value and the fact that maybe should the, the car industry with this regulation could lead into other standard in any other product, IOT, many yeah, IOT products in, in our society instead of you know on one side you want to leave the companies and the, and the market to take care of it. in another case, you know it's not a bad thing if you kind of push it because it's a good thing for society. So with that, I think uh, I think we can close it. We can thank you for being part of this conversation and uh, Sean, Yep,
1: I, have one I hope more you don't question. have another
2: last question because I'm not going to allow <laughs> you to do
1: that. I'm messing with you. I have a gazillion, but uh, I think I think we got our audience to think here. Some great yes. examples from you, Robin. I appreciate you sharing those as well. And uh, I think the industry, as you noted, Marco, sets so a great example, and uh, a lot we can learn from it. Yep. So thanks a million, Robin. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll include a link to Robin's presentation. Uh, intersect london so if you want to hear what he had to say there uh, you can do that and any other links that uh, resources that robin shares with us will be in the show notes as well so thanks everybody for listening
0: archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. And society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.